Welcome to the IMS Expert Insights Podcast. My name is Teresa Barber, your host and Director of Strategic Communications with IMS. Today, we're continuing a conversation with an expert from our network, Dr. Magdi Atia. With more than 25 years of experience in the field, Dr. Atia holds both a PhD and MS in Mechanical Engineering and a BS in Aerospace Engineering from Texas A&M University. He's also a recipient of the prestigious George Westinghouse Signature Award of Excellence and has conducted research on topics ranging from large engine transportability and auxiliary flow tools to innovative conceptual designs for thrust reverser engines. Dr. Atia is named inventor on three U.S. patents, has served in senior engineering roles for brands including Westinghouse, and is currently professor and associate chair of Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University's Department of Aerospace Engineering. In today's episode, we'll discuss how computers are transforming the industry of aerospace engineering and the trends most important for attorneys working in IP and complex, complex commercial litigation to watch. Thanks for joining us as we dive into today's IMS Expert Insight podcast. Putting your so putting your futurists cap on, looking ahead again. So you're you're predicting now we're going to have some ideas plucked out by um, by commercial interests. Um, but what so f- specifically for commercial litigators? What um, what's on the horizon in two to five years? What what are we going to see that could potentially lead to areas of commercial dispute? And I'm not at all asking you. Um, you know, no confidence is broken. Let's not mention, you know, specific brands or anything, but just in general, what are the trends that you're really paying attention to and curious about that, that could impact commercial litigation practices ahead? Of course. Um, that's a great question. I, I just attended a presentation by a professor from Canada and uh, he gave a very engaging presentation and on his last slide, he showed this line and I thought it was fantastic he said if you want to learn something new read an old book and i thought that was really telling uh in my field we're starting to see the re-emergence of old ideas that good smart engineers came up with a long time ago but maybe they did or uh, did not have the capacity to see it through or build it. Maybe the material wasn't there. Maybe the supporting technology wasn't there. So we're seeing the reintroduction of old ideas as new ideas. That is going to lead to some very interesting uh, intellectual property discussions. As you know, um, as you may know, there are three types of patents. what I like to call patents for patent trolls. Those are, <laughs> um, you know, folks who just who are just interested in the financial aspect. Maybe they see an idea, they examine it, they see it wasn't patented. They'll just file a patent and either sue for infringement or hope to hope to be bought out. Uh, we call them just patent trolls. Or non-practicing entities. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. The the other type are the true innovation the really genius uh, ideas that deserve uh, the patent. The third category, which is getting to be quite uh, substantial, is what I like to call tactical patents. Now, these are patents who just at a glance, you may think um, maybe they're not really that 
clever or that innovative. I've seen something like that before. Innovation-wise, you might give them a C or a, or a D plus, but they're really there to protect uh, an old idea that is re-emerging. Mm-hmm. And that makes for a very, very interesting discussion and a very complex uh, litigation if it reaches uh, that level. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned um, you know, the, prolifer- the, the proliferation and emergence of computing in the last, you know, I would say, decade plus. Um, plus, yeah. yeah. Um, what else has been really um, just transformative? Anything else that you would point to and say, this is really, you know, this is something that sets today's engineering, today's aerospace engineering apart from that of the 50s, the 60s, the, the early 2000s? Well, the aerospace engineering uh, industry, the aerospace industry as a whole, is um, very, very risk averse. Mm -hmm. They don't like to do anything radical. Their changes are very, very incremental. So the answer to your question is a little bit elusive, but I, I saw in my time that I think the the most advancement was in the area of materials, aerospace materials. Materials have gotten progressively very strong, very light, very temperature resistant. Uh, The advancement in materials has been, I think, one of the most interesting and one of the most compelling. We are able to... um, load six, 700 people on an aircraft and fly it for hours and hours and hours. Yes, we've made the advancement in component efficiencies and the lift, etc. but it's really been at the forefront. It's been materials. Hmm. What's, uh, Magdi, what's, uh, what's your favorite project, uh, pro- problem that you've ever been able to solve that's that's a very interesting question. Um, when I was at industry, uh, it, the answer is easy. Okay. When I was when I was at industry, um, I graduated with a PhD and no experience. I did I did all of my degrees in a row. So that it it okay. took me a while to find just the right job, um, and and I and I found it and it was great. And I remember my boss coming to me after I've only started for a few months and saying, well, you know, we hired you with a PhD. What, what can you do for us? For us? And I said, um, what, what do you need done? He said, well, we want to be able to design a component and be so confident in the result that we don't have to test it. Can you do that for us? And I thought to myself, uh, this is going to be a short career. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I was uh, fortunate en- enough to have a, a little bit of a downtime. We had just finished a, design, a major design and we, we had some downtime. And I started uh, thinking about the set of uh, design codes that I had and how I could rig them to, to do something they were not supposed to do. And uh, we did it. Um, we redesigned a major component. I can't talk about specifics, but sure. um, 
we we were very confident and uh, we we built the engine and i believe we gave a discount to the first customer um, because we were also going to do some testing on the customer site mm -hmm. and and the uh, the component achieved exactly what it was uh, supposed to achieve and we were very happy that was that was a very good year for me and um that will always be i think my my favorite problem that well, that we solved that's i was going to ask you uh, tell me about a big challenge that you had to overcome or real you know really difficult challenge you had to solve but it sounds like that might have been maybe one of the most and and one of your your favorites so that was it. That was that was the biggest uh, challenge uh, so far in my career, and, and it was early. It was early in my career too. And clearly, it didn't cut your career short. You overcame, <laughs> and you're, you're you're still here, fighting another day. Thank God, I'm still here. Yes. Yeah. Um, one thing you and I have been speaking about previously, or kind of um, talking about, were some of the industry trends. So, in the last few years, we've seen a bit of a shift from commercial um, from public publicly funded space launch development launch development especially in the US to commercialized launch and the emergence of giants now like um, like SpaceX and so what 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 are you seeing um, what do you how disruptive do you think that is for um, for the aerospace industry what what do you think we'll be seeing in about you know these are these are companies that really weren't really on the tip of our tongues five years ago, right? Um, but now they're, they're kind of becoming kind of becoming a lot more, a lot more known from the, through, throughout the general population. Um, what, what do you think this, this will mean for, for a commercial launch, for, for space launch in the future? Well, I think handing it over to the private sector has some pros and cons. Mm -hmm. uh, number one, I think we've all had some experiences where the government as uh, as well regulated as it is and as uh, safety conscious as it is uh, maybe a bit slow in adapting to the times the the private sector is not encumbered by that and uh, that's a plus they have been able to come up with some very innovative techniques and that have really filled in the gap that the space shuttle program had left open very quickly and very efficiently. Mm -hmm. So that's a plus. What can be a negative is that when these companies become multinational and all of a sudden you don't have the control that you once had on the technology. Mm. And so I think we as a nation, we as experts, we just need to continue to pay attention to that. Who owns the technology? Where is it being developed? Where is it going? Do we know? And that's really the the important question. But that's with the that's with the space sector, with the with the aerospace um, industry in general. It's really the proliferation of computers. Mm -hmm. It's the proliferation of um, handing things over to the computer. Now, as you know, computer programs and computer algorithms, they are written by 
um, folks with a computer science degree or with a software engineer engineering degree. So they may or may not have a solid understanding of the fundamentals of aerospace engineering. And um, codes and algorithms are being developed and written faster than we can keep track of. And I see that as a potential um, problem. It is, it is a benefit. Um, the computer is very quick, but can we really replace the human with a computer? That's really the question that is being asked all the time. Can the computer do everything that a human can? Not just in the calculation and the control, but in the anticipation hmm. phase and what to do when things uh, go wrong. Um, that, I believe, is going to be one of the cornerstones of, of our success in the aerospace industry as a whole. That's interesting. So, you know, thinking about where where the industry is going, you know, to my mind, you know, I think of the emergence of massive, massive passenger aircraft. And I think of, you know, charter jets, you know, being repurposed, lots of startups over the last several years, um, you know, being utilized for, for commercial, for business, business travel um, and commercial, com- commercialization. But the, the, the effect of digitization is really fascinating. What, and, and I'm sure you have an interesting perspective too with your role with Embry-Riddle. Um, you know, and so what, how are universities and how are graduate programs um, preparing the next generation of engineers given, um, you know, given now the, the, the need to be proficient in software language or on the other side, how are, um, you know, how, how are other programs, other graduate programs who would be pre- preparing software engineers, preparing them for kind of cross industry applications, if that makes sense? Yes, yes, it does. And universities have always, in my opinion, led the way. They've always examined what could be long before industry um, got their hands on it. And um, to be fair, yes, there is a big difference between an idea and a certified marketable product. But without the idea, you couldn't really get there. So you need you need a lot of ideas, even if you throw out 95% of them. And ideas emerge for the most part. I know some people will disagree with me, but for the most part, ideas emerge at universities, especially at the graduate student level where you have these uh, fresh minds. They, they just finished with their education on their, and they are unencumbered by production delays and certification and paperwork and reports and meetings, and they're just free to think and to dream. At most universities, and mine in particular, we are very keen now on the future of technology. So hybrid, hybrid electric vehicles, unmanned uh, vehicles, uh, all of that is going on at almost every level. Freshmen and sophomores are members of teams that build, design, build, and operate unmanned aerial vehicles, land vehicles, um, we have a rocket club that for a long time held the amateur record 
um, for altitude. They they built, they designed, built, and launched the record, the rocket. And I believe uh, the record was uh, 38 miles altitude, which they held as an amateur club of students. The overall record, the the rec- the record. The record for amateurs. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. So not, we're not competing with NASA or SpaceX. So okay. we're just, just for. <laughs> For amateurs, and which is which is uh, really good for for students. Um, so, I think the future the future looks good. Uh, there are a lot of students who are coming up with some great ideas, and they get to test them. And the industry is watching. I know they're watching, and every once in a while, they'll grab an idea and turn it into a product. Very interesting. Thank you so much to Dr. Atia for taking the time to talk with us and share some really fascinating updates and trends from the field of aerospace engineering. All of us at IMS are honored to connect our clients with the experts and expertise you need. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast above and check out the other resources available to you at our website, www.expertservices.com. If there's a topic or matter you'd like to learn more about or see featured in a future podcast episode, reach our editorial team through our website or by email at editor at expertservices.com. Thanks again for joining today. We look forward to sharing more insights with you next time in the IMS Expert Insights Podcast.